Hi, and welcome to Learn to Earn. I'm Justin Robinson. In this podcast, we will discover innovation and entrepreneurship that is essential to business. Today, we're interviewing Keontae Riggs, an upcoming entrepreneur in life insurance, auto insurance, sales such as solar, and so much more. Thank you and enjoy. So welcome to Learn to Earn with Joseph Robinson. Today I am interviewing upcoming entrepreneur, Keontae Riggs. Howdy. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, I mainly specialize in independent contracting and sales. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, an avenue I kind of fell in my lap. And when I kind of sort of just got the entrepreneur bug, you know, the, the possibility of, you know, controlling how much you earn in any given month and the freedom and just really, I felt like more like I was actually learning business doing this versus mm-hmm. working a job and a normal job. And I felt like certain aspects of about the business were kept a secret from me or like I wasn't easy able to learn them as quickly as I wanted to. It was like a, a Narnia for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just this, you know, open up this new world and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I felt like a you know, a business person, you know, you you imagine what a businessman is Mm -hmm. as a kid. And this felt the closest thing like that for someone like me in my position and really how to build something from the ground up. Wow. And so how old are you? I'm 26. And do you have a wife or kids? Nope. Wow. So, I mean, that's actually, you know, I think it's pretty good because you can just focus on your yourself and your success right now yeah yeah that aspect does play come into play there's a lot of people who could potentially do more or put more time into it but you know when you the family aspect comes in you know family's family you got to give them Mm -hmm. that makes sense so my class venture development we talked about many things for the past six weeks and what we're going to dive into first are some factors that are essential for entrepreneurs. Um, so my first question is, what were the factors in your life that made you want to be become an entrepreneur? Um, I was about 19 years old, mm-hmm. and a couple of friends of mine who worked at the Ford dealership um, started selling cars. Right. And these are friends who are still business partners of mine to this day. Um, you know, I kind of had that revelation, like, oh, I didn't know that people our age could do that. You know, mm-hmm. that job sounds so business-like, so adult. And it's the first time I realized, oh, yeah, I am an adult that can, you know, do anything I want. Yeah. So I went, I walked all the way across town. I applied at every single car dealership in town until a guy named Bruce King sat me down and, you know, he explained the business to me. You know, Bruce King was a, he it was at the Hyundai dealership where I ended up getting my first sales job. Um, and, yeah, he explained to me the business. He explained to me everything. He set me up with an interview, told me to dress nice, told me to, you know, just seem like an open book that you're willing to learn, mm-hmm. and we'll get you the job. And about a week later, I got a phone call um, that saying I got the job. I remember I jumped up and down. I was screaming. I was just so happy, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get a real, you know, shot at, you know, being a business person. And, yeah, that's what started my, my sales journey. That's so that's great to hear and interesting to hear. Um do you believe that people have to experience certain factors in life in order to, I guess, follow the path of an entrepreneur? Um, definitely. Um, some people have it in them. Um, and other people, you kind of, you know, they have to see that it's doable. Right. You know, a lot of people have, you know, fears and anxieties about, you know, stepping out into the entrepreneurial world. You know, they feel like they're risking more than what they, they really are. They feel like it's harder than it really is. And it, 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 that, that mindset sort of sets people back into not wanting to, you know, take that step and venture out and do things on their own. Right. That makes sense. Because it's everything I feel like in business is like fear. It's fear of like really stepping out there and taking that, that big step into yeah. something that you're, that's totally unknown. Yeah. Um, so what do you think are good characteristics of an entrepreneur? Um, I think you have to be very 
sort of analytical about things. Mm -hmm. You have to sort of separate your emotion from work sometimes. Okay. Um, you have to be able to, you know, look at the broad, the broad picture and the small picture all at once and then be able to make your best move that way. And though those are some factors that you would need. And, you know, you just sort of have to believe in yourself. You have to be this kind of person that can understands that you're going to get knocked down X amount of times, but you got to get back up and, you know, keep keep playing. Exactly. And I feel like some from others that I've talked to, being organized is, is one of them. Yes, definitely. And so... What are good characteristics that you hold? Um, good char characteristics that I hold. Um, uh, I've been told I'm likable. Um, that's, that's it, important. It's you know very important because um, a lot of uh, entrepreneurship is just building relationships exactly. and building business relationships, and you know they're trusting you with your business, you're trusting them with theirs. So you have to be able to show very quickly and very thoroughly that you, you know you are a reliable and trustworthy person. You know, you have to be someone people want to do business with. Because you can have the best product in the world, but if people don't trust you or people don't want to go into business with you, then, you know, half the game's gone for you right there. Mm, that's, a, that's a great point. No one's going to trust a, a sketchy salesperson. None. And so yeah, a lot of it's about sales is very quickly getting someone to relax and trust you and understand what you're saying. Because in sales, you could be saying one plus one equals two, but if the customer doesn't trust you, they're not going to believe you. Wow. Okay. Very good. And what are the characteristics that you have that probably need improving? Um, I'd bring back your point of organization. Um, lots of sales is, you know, not forgetting every little detail. You have to make sure you're touching base with every little thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're reaching back to the customers a week after you said. You're doing exactly what you said that you're going to do. You're going to, you know... Mark everything in your calendar. You're not going to miss your appointments. You're not going to be late. You know, those those small things matter, you know, because people, you know, if you can't show up on time for a meeting, you can't show up on time for um, for just a, a brainstorm session, people are going to take that very personally. Like, mm -hmm. if he can't be here five minutes early, he's going to leave five minutes early when, you know, things get tough and they're not going to want to build a relationship with you. Very good. So... When we talk about the next section, it's about opportunity, recognition, and exploitation. And so I got to say, like, how does an entrepreneur recognize opportunity? Um, recognizing opportunity for entrepreneurship, you have to understand your audience and your consumer base. Um, people are very, very comfortable with setting their ways and they don't like doing new things. Because again, mm. you know, stepping out into that new world True. is tough. You know, you're, you're worried about what could go wrong instead of what can go right. Because you, you know what's normally going to go right, doing what you normally do. So it's about understanding your consumer base and understanding, like, what the better opportunity is going to, where it's going to come from and who's going to take it. Mm. Um, you know, we're very, very stuck in our ways. It, it would take a very, very, very good product to get people off of their normal iPhone true yes great point so you know it doesn't you know you, people make jokes and people laugh it doesn't matter how good this phone is but i know iphone mm -hmm. i know how it works i know it's going to be reliable i know i i know i know it's just a good product so it's going to take very very it, 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 it formulates into my life easy so it's going to take a very very good product to get people to step out of outside that normalcy and it's about recognizing when something is that good mm -hmm. and when something that new is that, you know, that opportunity is so fruitful and getting ahead of it, getting onto it early rather than later. Yes, I agree. So how do you exploit a business, um, their competitive advantage? This is like, you know, what they're good at. How do you exploit your your best asset um you just put your best asset versus your customers and your consumer base's worst fear you know if you're selling a car and if i was still, like, still selling a hyundai um and you know you talk to your customer you build a relationship you realize the thing they're worried about is longevity you know you kind of put your 10 year 100,000 mile warranty compared to your competition's five year 60,000 mile warranty mm -hmm. you know you put 
you basically take their worst fear, you bring it up, you, you earnestly and honestly bring it up to the front yourself, and then you put your best asset asset against it. And if they can see like, okay, that no matter what my worst fear is, your product is guaranteed to beat that. And you have that in contract, you have that in writing, you have that in paper. And they, you, you built a sense of trust where they, they trust that you're going to be the guy to be there to help them against it. Then that's how you beat, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you believe it's difficult to stand out from competitors before you get copied? Um, if you, you have to do it the right way. Um, you have to make it your brand and you have to be reliable. Mm -hmm. And that way people, you know, it, it won't matter if you're copied because you already have a loyal, a loyal fan base. Exactly. Um, like so, uh, something comes to mind is Chick-fil-A. You know, you can come out with a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a Chick-fil-A and a, a fast drive through but, you know, the consumer already knows Chick-fil-A is Chick-fil-A. You know, they're going to, you know, you, you've already, they already have their own name. You already know you're going to get reliable service. You already know if the the line's wrapped around the building three times, it doesn't matter. You're going to be out of that line in five minutes. That's so true. And, you know, one thing I read about Chick-fil-A is why their menu is so standard. They're so basic. They don't need anything else. They don't need to add, like, a seasonal uh, flavor all the time. Yeah. And I think that's crazy because you have other um, companies like, I don't know, Taco Bell or... Um, McDonald's. McDonald's. They're always coming out with a new something that doesn't stay around. Like, Chick-fil-A's items, they're always on the menu all year round, and... I mean, that says a lot about their brand. Yeah, those businesses are very big in their own right. But one of the things that, you know, I feel like would cause, you know, a line to move slow is that they have a very complicated menu. They're, they're giving you a lot of products at one time. Ah. Therefore, it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's not easy to, well, Chick-fil-A took the route of we're going to simplify it, you know, shrink it, and we're going to, you know, expedite it. So now you're not worried. You know, if you see a, a big line, that fear that you had to have at a McDonald's, you don't have that at Chick-fil-A. And that's how they kind of beat their advantage. That's how you have to model your business to beat other, you know, companies with yours. So would you say you're an enabler or an opportunist in business? I'm definitely an opportunist uh, just because, you know, I see, I see consumers want and need sort of like stocks. You know, it changes day to day. Right. You know, all it takes is one viral commercial. All it takes is one, you know, social event to change what people want and need. So you definitely have to be the type of business person, entrepreneur to be agile enough to capitalize on that. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you know, if you're, if I ran a print shop, it, I would lose hundreds of thousands of dollars if I still to this day couldn't make masks. True. So, you know, one of those things you have to be on, you know, is you know, the demand changes. You know, no one expected COVID to hit us so hard or it to happen at all. But, you know, business, you know, the show still goes on. So you, you definitely have to be an opportunist. I consider myself one because day by day, people's wants and needs change. Mm -hmm. And just a side note, when you talk about masks in this COVID uh, pandemic, uh, the company Vera Bradley captured a great opportunity whenever um, COVID hit. They had, I guess, so much cotton and uh, I guess sewing machines they were able to create their masks like really quickly while like this huge other company that i've talked with tommy hilfiger they they're just now like what seven months into covid just yeah. now selling masks yeah and you think about that seven months you know tommy hilfiger is a very 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 popular noted brand mm -hmm. you know the tommy hilfiger mask you know people you know to make in order to make light out of a, you know, somewhat dim situation, people like putting their name brands on their masks. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, a, it was a fun thing that people did. And if you think about the seven months they weren't selling masks, that's hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of dollars worth of revenue that just wasn't capitalized on. So, you know, the business, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, it's sort of the same way. You know, every minute, every um, ounce of time you don't spend you know, creating opportunity, answering the phone fast, knocking on doors, you know, prospecting, that's time and 
or your customers could fall into your competition's right. lap, and that's the money, the money they make is money you didn't earn. Very well put. And so, segueing into the next like question, what company today do you believe uh, recognized and acted on an opportunity? Uh, it's kind of funny. I don't drink coffee a lot, but I was reading about Starbucks. Mm-hmm. You know, their business model, you know, that, you know, the contributor was told, you know, the CEO sold like, you know, no one's going to pay that much for a cup of coffee. Mm. You know, and you look, you know, we have it got to a point in, you know, the early 2000s where everyone was going, oh, man, we're putting up another Starbucks. They're putting up another Starbucks. Right. You know, that was the joke. <laughs> but, you know, you know, as you see as many Starbucks as there are in any given town that come one, two o'clock, come nine, eight o'clock, there's always a line. True. So, you know, and that, that, that's an ability that people, that's a, that's a business that a lot of people could have done, but no one did. Another example would be Amazon. You know, no one expected online shopping to be this boom of what it is. Very true. Yeah, and now Amazon has completely taken over the market. You know, if you, if you can't work with Amazon through, you know, your entrepreneurial duties, then you, you're, you're already 10 steps behind. Very true. I I can only imagine how much further uh, they can go. Yeah. Um, so, going into corporate entrepreneurship, the innovation aspect of it, can you describe innovation in your own words? Um, innovation is taking what could normally be an option and almost seemingly making it be not an option, you know, going back to Amazon, you know, you could choose to not do business with Amazon. There's nothing stopping you, but in this climate, you almost can't not work through Amazon, you know, because they're they're just so big. They're so convenient. They're so normal Mm -hmm. that people are going to recognize what they are. You know, if you sell something in a mass chain, you know, food product, you almost, there's no way you wouldn't be able to work, get away with not working with Walmart, Winn-Dixie, you know, Target, these big name, these big chains. Yeah. So innovation just becomes, to me, is taking something that becomes an option and then making it normalcy and without people seeming to even realize. Huh. I like that. And so my professor has a perspective and it's, Mindset is a lifestyle, not an action. Do you agree with that? One thousand percent. Um, you know, my basketball coach used to tell me, "You are your consistent actions, not what you rarely do." Hmm. Meaning, if you wake up, if if you get annoyed after a bad game and go put up a bunch of jump shots, you know that that's that's great, but that's not going to help you in the long run. The real good players, they that's normal. They wake up and they do their duty. They wake up. And they shoot a bunch. They wake up and they, you know, practicing and and mastering your craft isn't something you do out of emotion. It's something that's part of who you are. Mm. And so is entrepreneurship. You know, um, entrepreneurship. A lot of things that would seem uncomfortable for people are things that I have to do on a normal basis in order to put myself ahead. You know, when I'm out knocking on doors and I'm out prospecting, um, you know, you can run into a lot of negative emotions, and understandable. Right. But in a lot, and that kind of takes out takes a lot of people's steam out of their engine. But it would for me, I couldn't do it. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of people can't. But I know that if I want to be a good salesperson, if I want to hit my goals, if I want to do the things that I want to do, I have to, you know, all right, you know, kind of diffuse the situation mm-hmm. politely as I can, no matter what their reaction is, and move on to the next door. So, do you think like that's a a different psyche? For like people to to have to deal with that type of yeah I mean, yeah it's all about perspective. Well, one joke I like to make with my friends is if you go out to a bar and you ask out twenty girls, and nineteen of them say no, you're not gonna the next day you're just gonna laugh and say I got a girl's number. Not you're not gonna tell somebody that you got rejected nineteen times. Very <laughs> yeah. well. And if, and if you get two of their numbers, then you're having a really great night. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you know you gotta have to kind of look at the glass half full type thing but a lot of times with um entrepreneurship it's not even glass half full you get you're kind of celebrating yeah we got three drops in the cup today let's get three more tomorrow so it's not optimism or is it um you could say that it's just perspective um you know it's 
you got to kind of look at it as like, you know, that's what your business does. You know, if you work at a mall, you know, 4,000 people are going to walk past your store mm-hmm. in a given day. And realistically, yeah, those people walk past your store to go into another store. That's rejection. But, you know, if 500 people go into your store, you're going to be like, dang, we had a busy day. That's true. But, you know, with entrepreneurship, it's just kind of taking that that into your own lap. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're kind of br- bringing yourself to the rejection versus when you work at a retail store or something like that. Rejection comes to you and you don't even really think about it. You know, if someone walks into your store and just looks and doesn't buy anything, they walk out. Yeah, that person chose not to do business with you. But if the next person comes in and buys, you're just like, yeah, we made a sale. We sold, you know, X, Y, and Z of the products that we've been meaning to get rid of. That is an amazing way to put that because I work in a retail setting and we only count the people, you know, that are coming into the store because it physically counts them. Whereas we don't think about the traffic that is passing our doors on the outside. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That was great. So what do you think of reverse innovation? And kind of to give you a little information on that, you know, it's it's definitely like it's selling like quality products um, to less fortunate countries that get more usage out of the product in the long run. Like a, a CPAP machine that is portable. Uh, there was um, a, a video with Miss Dr. Vijay and they, they sold these CPAP machines in these less fortunate countries for thousands and thousands of dollars uh, less, but they got more uses out of it. And it only, whereas a normal CPAP machine costs like, I mean, upwards of $10,000, I believe. Well, you, you're kind of playing a long game, and I, I, I very much agree, and I very like the strategy. It's, it's unorthodox, but it works in the long run, you know? So, you know, you sell things like that, you know, to, from my perspective about it, is you put these things in a lot of low-income, unfortunate, less fortunate areas, mm-hmm. but that brand becomes commonplace. You become a part of that community. So you're kind of sort of locking in, you know, loyal customers in the area. So because when those people have a choice and they are less fortunate, they're going to stick with what they know. Hmm. You know, this skill company that, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, you know, helped me. So I'm going to choose to do business with them. And then so in the long run, you're profiting. True. And you're also profiting. You're also doing something amazing in the process. Mm-hmm. And if you can do both of those things, that's the best way to do business. And I feel like even though it may be like, you know, time staking to do it that way, but I feel like they're going to build something that's going to be massive in the future. Yeah, and that's, and that's exactly how you do it. You're sort of planting the seed instead of picking the fruit. Hmm. I like that. So, if you ran a large company in 10 years, would you allocate time for your employees to brainstorm on innovation every week? One thousand percent. One thing that sort of frustrates me and what sort of led me to entrepreneurship is some companies I feel like don't treat their employees as an investment when they very much are. You know, um, one of the one of the things I learned from one of my car sales managers is that the best way he built the team is he says he finds the best people and he pays them too much. Hmm. Um, there's a car dealership in Ocala, Florida. It's a, a Toyota dealership. And it was one of the one of the things I learned about one of the my car sales mentor was thinking about moving there because of what they did. And what they did was they offered a phenomenal new pay plan. Basically, they said, if you sell X amount of cars, you know, we're going to make sure you make one hundred thousand dollars. So if you sell one hundred and fifty cars on the year, which is anywhere from 10 to 15 cars a month. They're going to if you didn't make over one hundred thousand, they were going to write a check for the difference. Okay. So if you fell short of 96, you're getting a check at the end of the year for $4,000 huh. and so on. So it rewarded the guys that, you know, sort of work in the fleet sales. And then, you know, some of the guys who sell lots of cars for, you know, for a little bit, for not a lot of gross. Mm. And it also rewards the guys that, you know, make a lot of gross off of not a lot of cars. And it sort of balanced it out. So what that happened was they got an influx of salespeople. You know, they ended up building this really, really strong team full of veterans and guys who've been in the game for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they sold more cars than they'd ever sold 
in a year because of that, just for simply investing into their employees. So, and also your employees are just the most experienced, you know, they're, they're the guys on the front lines that see what customers are frustrated with, what they, we could do better, what Absolutely. could do worse mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So if you just take the time to let them figure out their own problems sometimes, you know, it's just, you know, it's a business running itself. You don't have to do anything and they're, you know, making more money and making more, generating more power for the company to keep growing. I agree. And, you know, I believe Google and Apple are two companies that do this. They give their employees, like, specific time to brainstorm on new ideas. And I just think that's a almost like a, a different type of culture in with companies today. Um, and I feel like in 10 years, that's something that I definitely would want my company to do. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's going to do nothing but good for you in the long run. Um, you know, I guess on the surface, yeah, you would think you just pump more and more and more and more and more, but it's like a machine. Even a machine can't go 100% of the time. If you take your car and you put, hold the gas pedal for, you know, a thousand miles, your car's going to overheat eventually. Right. You know, you got to kind of stop. You got to kind of check your oils. And, you know, people are the same way. You got to kind of let people stop. You got to let people enjoy life, plus enjoy their job. And you're going to get more production in the long run that way versus, you know, limiting vacation time, limiting family time and, you know, putting everyone on the front lines even more. Right. All right. So do you think corporations actively take advantage of their employees innovate innovative ideas? Um, that can definitely happen. Um, it's happened to me before. Um, it's, it's a very upsetting process because um, at the end of the day, you know, employees are very much part of the company, you know, if, and one of the things that you kind of earn, you know, in your salary is, you know, your, your salary is, is very stagnant while profits can raise or profits can decline. And while, yes, you, your job as an employee, if, you know, you don't take any of the loss the company does, mm-hmm. you also, you don't also don't take any of the gains. So, you know, you might get a bonus check, you might get, you know, quarterly and hourly and yearly raises, but if you're directly responsible for the company seeing a lot of success and you're not a part of that success, not only are you not going to want to share more success with the company, right. you're, you're going to be, you know, a little salty and a little, you know, hurt at the end and not want to share the ideas. So a lot of people feel like, you know, they, they put, because, you know, you you kind of sometimes a lot of people spend more time at work than they do with their families. Absolutely. So you don't want to spend all that time working for a company that's not going to recognize and reward you for doing more for the company. And that's sort of how I ended up in sales because your pay is always proportionate. If I want to make a hundred thousand dollars per year, a car salesman gets paid anywhere from 20 to 25% of the gross profit of a car. So if I want to make a hundred thousand dollars in a year, well, I know I have to make the company $400,000 myself. That makes sense. And, you know, some companies, if you're paid salary, you know, it, you know, your, how much revenue you actually generate for the company might not, you might not get paid for every dollar, get paid proportionately for it. Hmm. Spoil put. And so going into proactiveness and strategic renewal. So, you know, I'm just going to say what proactiveness is. It's the ability of an individual or firm to identify opportunity and take action to exploit it. And so strategic renewal is recognition and consistent adaption to an ever-changing competitive business environment. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, why is the anticipation of future problems so important? Um, well, because a future problem is a potential to lose money. You know, we all know if you're losing money, you know, your sales is going, your business is going the opposite way. Mm-hmm. So you kind of want to work into any challenges, you know. Um, uh, AMD and Intel are a pretty good example of that. You know, they're two of the biggest processing companies in the world. If you have a computer that that's, that's using a lot of power and using a lot mm-hmm. of computing power, you're using one of those two processors so they're constantly in battle with each other because when one produces a new product that blows the other one out of the way Mm -hmm. it immediately drops your own market value Uh. so you know you'll see when 
the one company comes out with a new processor that's blowing the other one out of the water, the new prices for the old one drop significantly because you immediately become worth less. I don't think I've ever realized that. Yeah. So when you're, you know, you got to kind of look at the market and you got to kind of look at what your product might be or how, how it's going to hold in the market over time, sort of like stocks. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a store that only sells masks, you're in heaven right now. But there will be a day where this pandemic and we don't need masks as much in our country anymore. So even if that doesn't go away completely, completely, you're going to take a, a revenue hit. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself now, what am I going to do when that happens? Do you go back to selling t-shirts? Do we start selling pants? Do we start selling, you know, what do we, what's our way around it to keep our revenue this high and keep our company and use our name to keep our company afloat versus, you know, kind of standing in the water and drowning. You know, you look at a company like, you know, Sears, which, you know, was the biggest part of every single mall in America. Yeah. And now they're out of business because they refuse to adapt with the times and they refuse to look ahead and innovate and adjust, you know, and you can only say that, you know, that a company that big and that ahead of the game falling that far behind that fast was just a mistake and just a complete mismanagement. So, I mean, how often do you think strategies need to be changed in uh, entrepreneurial activities? Um, not too fast. Um, again, you kind of don't want to overwhelm customers, but this one sort of kind of sort of goes with the times. Um, you know, you 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 joke with any older person, they're like, I, I don't, I can't keep up with all these new phones. Mm-hmm. You know that that change process is sort of normal to us. You know, we get new phones. We kind of figure out how to work them and what the differences are between the old phone and the new phone pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But an older customer is going to be confused, a little overwhelmed with that. So you got to kind of know your audience and you got to know how willing they are to adapt to change and kind of go with that as well. And you might either have to push that boundary a little bit or, or rein them back in order to, in order to, you know, stop any conflict or any, you know, conflict of interest with your business. Yeah. I agree. So now, can you name a company that is good with like strategic renewal? Um, a company that's good with strategic renewal, I would say. Because we already said Sears is is probably not. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say Netflix did a really good job. They did. You know, Netflix completely changed the way that we consume media now. You know, we, you know, with all our technology and all our devices and all our ways to consume media, you know, we don't have to sit there and tune into the TV and be in the living room at seven o'clock to watch our favorite show. Mm -hmm. You know, we can just drop the favorite show. We can watch it all season. And then they sort of use consumer reports to keep and drop whatever shows they want. Now, I'm upset that Everything Sucks got canceled on Netflix. I really love that show. But, you know, obviously... They they looked at the overall report and how the show was being you know accepted, mm-hmm. and they realized that from a business standpoint, you know we can't be, you know can't continue. And you know I always wonder though, like how much money Netflix puts into all these great shows, and like how they they stay afloat because I just feel like they're putting out so much. And I just feel like it's really expensive. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, a lot of people are getting a lot of expensive checks to stay on it. But, you know, those things can, if you look at how many people they ha- that are subscribed, you know, not, not even counting all the people that use their friends' accounts to, you know, watch. I, I'm pretty sure I use my mom's account, <laughs> you know. And, you know, you look at all the people that you've just subscribed and you multiply that by, you know, what is it, $25, $20 a month now? I think so. Yeah, you're, you're consuming billions and billions of dollars a month just to operate your business. And, you know, as long as you keep on the game of, you know, giving, financing these brilliant and these innovative and these creative writers and comedians and, you know, horror movie specialists, and you can keep, you can keep exciting media being produced on the daily. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, Netflix is my go-to when it comes to entertainment, so... Um, um, what about a bad company that just 
was not good with uh, strategic renewal. Oh, I guess with Annapolis, you know, you go around the opposite end and go to Blockbuster. Exactly. You know, what? actually, one of this guy I worked with at Kohl's right before I got my first sales job used to be a manager at Blockbuster. Um, I asked, I told, we were talking about business, we were talking about things like this, and he said he he talked to the CEO of Blockbuster himself at a, at a huge board meeting. He looked at him and said, hey, are we going to start you know, competing with Netflix. That's back when Netflix was still mailing, you know, DVDs and movies. Mm-hmm. He looked at them, the CEO looked at them in the eye and said, you know, that sort of media is never going to take off. It's not a feasible business option. And yeah, you know, and it's just like, that's a huge mismanagement step. That guy single-handedly cost his company billions. You know, they're, they're out of business now. Instantly. Oh, well, that was great. But this last section is probably what I'm really interested in talking with you about, and that's risk taking. Um, so, would you say you are a low, moderate, or high level risk taker? <laughs> I am 100% a high level risk taker, and for better or for worse. I have learned a lot of good lessons and made a lot of money very quickly in business, but I've also lost just as much doing so. and it's sort of it it sort of reminds me of like poker um poker is about making the best decision and then letting the odds play themselves out Mm -hmm. so you know if you go all in you have two aces in your hand you know that you have a 77 or 78 80 percent chance of winning the hand now there always is the chance of something going wrong no matter how solid the chances are never 100 percent so if you lose it's about knowing that i did the right thing and if I keep doing the right thing, the reward will come. And that's how, you know, professional poker players are able to consistently win tournaments and beat, you know, people out, despite poker still being a game of chance. Um, I definitely take my business as a single A. It's like as long as I'm producing leads and I'm working and I'm being consistent and I'm calculating all my odds, that if I keep working hard and I keep, you know, using the sales skills and make bettering myself, I will win in the end. Then, yeah, that's the mindset I keep, you know, driving me forward. And I can say, as of lately, I've been winning a lot more than I've been losing. And it's, you know, it's a good feeling to be on that end versus the other way. Congrats. Because <laughs> I'm definitely more on the, the moderate uh, level of risk taking. And with that said, you know, like, as an entrepreneur, do you find a correlation uh, in the level of risk? with the the level of reward uh yeah um it's all about putting yourself out there being firm and understanding your consumer base you know if you have a product that people want people will come and they will you know they will receive it well if it's being if it's being presented the right way Mm. you know if you understand their fears if you understand the reservation of what will make them not buy and you understand their you know, excitements and pleasures of what make them will buy. As long as you set yourself on the right side of the scale, you will receive the rewards that you're looking for. You just have to be done the right way. I guess I really have to, that's something for me as a emerging entrepreneur, I have to get comfortable with because taking, you know, higher risks for that higher reward is just something I'm not totally comfortable with yet. Yeah. But I mean, I know that's something that I have to get over eventually. Yeah, I mean, that's why in sales they always say, you know, don't spend your best month's money. Because you know, you're going to have a great month, whether you're selling cars, you're selling insurance, you're selling solar panels, anything. You know, all my personal avenues of business, there could be a month where you make, you know, more money than you ever thought you could make in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And then that very next month be the, be the drought. So when you're creating a business, you know, say, you know, you built a casino, there is going to be that day where someone's going to pull that lever and win a million dollars. So it's like, if you're prepared for that, then great. You can pay and you can keep moving and keep your business going. But if you have, if you mismanage somewhere, that's where those decisions come back and haunt you. Mm. Okay. It's kind of scary, honestly. It is. And you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit scary, but it's also a little bit exciting. And once you know how to manage your emotions, a little bit, what I talked about in the earlier, you get part of the, um, interview is if, as long as you learn how to manage your emotions, you you understand that. You know it's just part. It's it's a numbers game. It truly is. Yeah. 
When I first started selling life insurance, I sold under a guy named Brent Abernathy. He used to be a professional baseball player. He drafted right out of high school. You know, he's played all over the world. He played on the Olympic team, won a gold medal. The guy's done, you know, lots of crazy cool things. And the day I met him, he looked at me. Uh, he, I was explaining to him how it worked. He had made 7000 on Monday, 10000 on Sunday, $8,000 every single day in between. Not to mention the pause that he, he probably made anywhere from 100 to 150 grand that week. And you know, I had the same reaction. I was blown away. I was only about twenty-one years old. You know, I'm, I'm. That's more. You give me one hundred fifty thousand dollars, then I'm the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the very next week, he was dry. You know, I looked at his numbers. He posted he had about twenty appointments, couldn't sell a single one. But his excitement level from the week he made everything to the week he made nothing was the exact same. It's like he didn't make that much money, and like he didn't, you know, face twenty rejections in a row because he knows. That it's a number game and it's going to average out. He knows he's going to have his bad months. He knows he's going to have his great months. And as long as he keeps his mentality steady and he keeps, you know, rolling forward, that he's going to, he knows what the result, you know, should be at the end. Hmm. And then he knows whether to adjust or keep going in that certain direction depending on the, the result. Right. And I guess, has there ever been a time where you took, you know, a huge risk and it paid off? Uh, yeah. Um, it was a risk to even start my first job. Um, I was already working somewhere pretty consistently. I was making a decent salary. I didn't have a car. I walked all the way across town, got a job at a car dealership. And when they told me I was hired, I had to make a choice to, to quit my current job to go do that. Right. Because you're talking about a strictly commission base pay. On a high turnover rate, you know, my, my first car sales job, I had a manager that was only worked for two for a day, he got there, looked around, realized the um, operation wasn't exactly what he wanted, and said, "Yeah, I'm not going to do this." He got up and left. I mean, doesn't that like does the turnover in sales scare you ever? Oh, it does. It, it definitely does. Um, you you know you're always worried about outside factors. And you're always worried about you know you know if something goes wrong, could this be my job? But you know if as long as you're you know doing your checklist and you're making sure that, you know, your duties are done, you know, you could at least go home feeling like you've done everything that you do. Um, Kobe Bryant, you know, people that know me know I'm a diehard Kobe Bryant fan. Right. Um, you know, he was asked in an interview one time, do you ever feel nervous? He said, no. He goes, I do everything I can do. So when I wake up for game day, I know I can take solace and that I've done everything I need to be prepared. If I'm nervous, that means... I, there's something I hadn't prepared in. Mm. And you got to kind of have that Mamba mentality uh, towards life and towards entrepreneurship to know that you did do everything you could. You did wake up when you, you when no one told you to, to go work. You did, you know, stay out late when you, you know, you wanted to go home. You did skip out on, you know, you might have to make some sacrifices, skip out on a few things to prioritize making sure, you know, your business is going and your plane's in the air. Yeah. <sighs> That's very well said. And so, which do you consider worse, uncertainty or failure? Um, hmm. That's a kind of a tough question. You know, both of them have their ups and downs. Yeah. Um, I would say uncertainty, and that uncertainty being, could I have done more? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when you go to bed and, you know, you know, and I, I'll admit, I haven't been the perfect, you know, entrepreneur, perfect salesman. You're going to, you know, you kind of have to battle yourself with these the things sometimes. You're frustrated, you know, you try to knock doors. You've got a couple people that chase you out, people that have been rude to you, people, you know, questioning your character and, you know, just making you upset. You know, some things you take personally and you decide, all right, I'm just going to go home at five instead of seven. Mm-hmm. Then at the end of the week, you realize, dang, you know, I, I went home at five instead of seven three times. What kind of sales and opportunities did I miss in those six hours that I could have done how I just kept my head up? You know, failure. Yeah, yeah failure. You're going to run into failure. You know, you're going to run into credit fails. You're going to run into, you know, people being paranoid and not wanting to do business with you and, you know, not being good on their word and, not, you know, anything and everything you're going to run into. But you never know 
with uncertainty, you, you don't know that you could have met the opportunity of your life mm-hmm. had you just stayed out there. True. I don't know. I feel like I feel like failure is just something that I'm so afraid of. Just because of, you know, the way I was raised and, you know, I was like a great student, you know, straight A student and failing is just like, it's like the end of the world to me. Yeah. And honestly, it's, you know, you know, that old saying that, you know, C students, you know, own the company and the A students work for them. You know, I sort of believe that in a sense of, you know, like a C st- I was a C student, you know, mm-hmm. I was a student that, you know, was very mischievous and, you know, would take a lot of risk into doing things. And you gotta kind of have to sort of have that faith in yourself to go out there and start a business. Versus, you know, someone who's an A student is someone who's going to take the job that's given to them and do it very, very well. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of, you know, the you know mentality of a really good employee. It's very true, because I feel like I'm a very good employee. Yeah, and a lot of people think, you know, there's sort of, you know, sort of a air, you know, an arrogance about entrepreneurs. You know, they think that, that you know, because they're not technically working for anyone that they're doing a bad job. But I always, I joke and say, you know, the CEO of Apple has a job, but he's making a lot more than your average entrepreneur. <laughs> True. So it's, it all depends on how, what you do and how well you do it. Because, you know, there are employees who you make, you know, more money than, you know, you, we could ever count. And there's entrepreneurs who, you know, might not make as much as you think they make. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, me being a moderate risk taker and, you know, you a high level risk taker look over the next 30 years, like who do you think would make more money? Um, that is a, compl- a good question. You know, I, I have a lot of confidence in myself of who I can be, um, and what I can accomplish. You know, I'm the type of person, I just can't imagine myself not accomplishing my goals. It's all I do. It's all I think about, you know, is, you know, as long as, I get a full 80 years, a full full life, I, I you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it eventually, you know, I'm, I've done a lot of things in life that people say, you know, I couldn't do or I couldn't accomplish just because, the, you know, they might not be able to see it as much as I do. But, you know, you take someone who's a good worker and a good employee, you never, you never know what opportunities they'll be given, you know, what, you know, areas they'll be able to manage, what parts of the company they'll be trusted with over time, you know. I think I'll have, I think I have a lot of good qualities. Um, I think over the next 30 years, you know, I could make a lot, but it all depends on just the opportunities given to us and how well we capitalize off of them. Yeah, I agree. But I'm, again, I'm a Kobe fan, so I'm going to bet on myself every time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much more of the, uh, if we're looking at, at like a stock program, I'm very much government bonds and things that are always going to increase steadily. Um, whereas I feel like you're just like, kind of like investing in Bitcoin, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm, you're going to go up really high one day and then you're going to go down. But I think that's great that we just have so many different avenues that we could take in order to be entrepreneurs and to be successful. Yeah. There's more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, it's like being a musician you know, there's, that's a very broad word. You know, there's lots of different instruments to master. And it all depends on how much time and how much love and how much dedication and how much refining you put into your craft. Mm-hmm. So my final question to you then is like, what's your next entrepreneurial adventure? Um, right now, I want to grow what I do now. And... What I do now is I'm sort of an independent contractor for many different sales avenues. I sell life insurance, health insurance, auto insurance. I sell solar panels independently. Wow. I, you know, used to sell cars. I'm working on getting my real estate license. My dream is just to have, through my lead generation and my marketing skills, to have my calendar booked from beginning to the end of the month, where I'm sitting with. X amount of people for insurance, X amount of people for solar panels, X amount of people for real estate, and then just keeping my process very high, my activity high, and then taking the money at the end. That is a busy but great uh, work lifestyle in my eyes. Huh. But I think my dream, 
I think in the future, you know, when I've accumulated certain amounts of, I would like to start my own production company and I would like to start investing in artists. I would like to start investing in short films. I'd like to start investing in movies and stuff like that because it's just, you know, it's a risk. I mean, it's just like any other investment you invest into the artist and then the product makes whatever gross it makes. And someone who has a very, you know, love for arts and movies and film, it's something I would love to do. I'd love to, you know, use my ability to capitalize the opportunity to give opportunity to artists and people that, you know, I, I, I'm very much inspired by. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I congratulate you on, on that thinking. Um, what about, you know, a restaurant? You ever thought about having your own restaurant? Um, I have. You know, restaurants are fine. I definitely think there's better ways to run some of the fast food chains and stuff like that. I would definitely like a franchise business. Um, you know, someone like LeBron who invested in Blaze Pizza and, you know, turned his $4 million investment into, you know, a $400 million company. You know, the company's doing great now. Mm. You know, just because, you know, their business model and their product is really, really good. You know, this has been a great, great interview. Um actually my first podcast and I think definitely we'll, I'm going to do more of these with more people in this avenue so you know Keontae thank you for doing this with me today um, I really do appreciate it so if there's anything that you'd like to say um, I don't know you have a, a website for your solar or anything um, please feel free but Thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, my website is solarbythebeach.com. If you guys want to look at that, you know, it gives a quick rundown of what, you know, solar is um, and other products like that. Um, and, yeah, you just fill your information out, and I'll, I'll gladly get with anyone about that and any more information they like need. That's where my primary, uh, right now, my, my sales is primarily based, and that's the business I'm trying to build right now the most. And, yeah, I'd say... You know, thank you for talking to me, Grady. I'd say one of your best pro- one of your best prospects is that you're a very good judge of character. You know, the people that you invest in, you know, they they're very very much you know very loyal, very good, and those are the kind of business relationships that are going to make you very successful one day. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for that. And this has been Learn to Earn. And until next time, thank you. In this episode of Learn to Earn, I spoke with sales entrepreneur Keontae Riggs on the strategies, thought processes, and difficulty of being an entrepreneur. Taking risk can have its rewards and downfalls, but as long as you stay to the path, your only way is up. Thank you. I'm Joseph Robinson, and until next time.